Well, having a guest is always a ride. (laughs) The best kind of ride. (laughs) It's true. I feel like the three of us are like, I don't know, like teenagers out in like mom's car. Maybe one of us doesn't have a license. That's how it feels right now. Just learning how to use it, how to, how to drive shift. (laughs) Welcome to Fate of Mates, everyone. We're going to, we're going to do it right up front this time. We're going to be professional, Jen. Of course. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. I'm Jen Prokop. I'm a romance critic and a shit talker on Twitter. <laughs> that is very true. That Jen is gets excellent. us in trouble a lot more than she, she used to. And that amazing voice that you hear is our guest this week, Tasha Harrison. Tasha, welcome. Welcome to Fate of Me. Thank you for having me. Finally, after we went like all over God's green earth on the internet <laughs> trying well, to make his connection. And in mom's car. <laughs> yes. Well, that's 100% my fault because the internet, I think I've said this on, I said this on last week's episode, but like the internet here in Brooklyn is insane now because everyone is self-isolating. Everyone, every the whole city is on lockdown. And so everyone is using the internet, including uh, a million uh public school students so it's great here so if i drop out jen and tasha will just soldier on without me <laughs> <Just keep chatting. laughs> you'll be like like uh what's her name michelle from destiny's child when she fell off the stage with beyonce <laughs> <laughs> kelly just kept dancing like mm, mm-mm, don't pay no attention to that Exactly. Well, what else are you going to do? You're going to have to clamber back on that stage by yourself is what we're trying to say, Sarah. (laughs) And pick up the dance right where it dropped off. Okay. So, Tasha, Tasha picked our topic today. It's one that we have talked about briefly before, but is a classic. We could probably talk about it every week. So, Tasha, tell us about our topic and then, like, why you're jamming on it so hard right now. Uh, Enemies to lovers. Well... Here's the thing. When I was looking at my notes from the books that I chose, I realized that not a ton of people really do it really well. Like, they're not Mm. true enemies to lovers. Like, I like them to, like, loathe each other at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think the reason why I'm jamming on it lately is because, like, I feel... Like, so that we, all of us have so many differences going on. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I need to read something where people actually hate each other at the beginning, but then can love each other at the end. Oh, I like that. Not that I want to love lots of these people on the internet <laughs> and in the world. Well, there are lines. There are lines. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, I'm Republicans. What, what are we doing with them? I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> these are hard. These are dark days. Here's my question, Tasha. So, do you think that we as readers have to hate one of the characters too? Huh, that's a toughie. Um, I think that we should be able to recognize right off the top that one of the people is legit messy. Like, <laughs> there has to be a reason why the character is like, you know what, I don't want to mess with you because you might be a trash human. I can't be sure. So, like, a, there has to be a good person or like a kind of a middle of the road person person we don't feel any way about, but then like a complete trash heap of a person <laughs> that really is just trash heap on the outside, but then ends up being like the fraggle rock trash heap, you know, that gives wise advice and stuff. The trash heap has spoken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because I think 
like you, I think it can really be hit or miss. Right. And I've, so I've been thinking about like, you know, I wrote a whole column about like what makes it work. And one of the things I really stand by is it, it has to be high heat. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of that, all that energy from their hatred has to go somewhere. But I also was thinking like, if we're really sympathetic to both of them at the beginning, it, I don't know. Like that's, I I was thinking a lot about the role of the reader in this like little group, like when it doesn't work, it's often because I'm like, well, they're just really nice people. Why don't they like each other? (laughs) (laughs) Because they don't like each other. This is something my mom used to say to me all the time when I was a kid. She's like, everybody ain't your friend, you know, <laughs> just because they seem cool to other people and they're other people's friends, you might not vibe with them. And there is a reason for that because, <laughs> you know, ultimately probably there's something wrong with that person and y'all just don't connect. And whenever you try to force it, it goes wrong. It never happens like that in romances, but Number one, you giving the reader a job, Jen. I mean, like, <laughs> as an author, I can't I can't say I'm going to give the reader a job. <laughs> the moments where you sort of throw two characters together and force them to, like, interact with each other and they just cannot stand each other are the moments where the book really races, like, the pages turn. There's so much chemistry in those, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, hate moments. And the the, the sort of... That sort of old adage of like the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite right. of love is something is Apathy. more like indifference. Yeah. Right. Because hate just has so much of that like sexual tension when it's handled really well. Hard agree. Well, I think so too. I mean, and that's the thing. Like these books, really good enemies to lovers. Because like Tasha, sometimes they just don't work out for me. And I think like the things that I when they don't, it's often like the pacing's too slow because this has to snap, mm-hmm. right? And or I find I'm like, well, these are just two nice people, so why are they? Why don't they <laughs> like each other? I, I don't know. Yeah, why are they being assholes? I have to, to each see other. the animosity, right? Because otherwise, they're just assholes. And yeah, I think there needs to be a real reason why they dislike each other. Like even if they're two nice people, mm-hmm. there has to be a real reason in the middle why they don't like each other or why they're forcing the distance between them. Like, it can't just be like, oh, there was some big misunderstanding. Now we're going to rape our faces. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, when I was looking at the books that I was I was trying to pick today, I was thinking a lot about enemies to lovers. And in my head, the way I categorize, I, I categorize enemies to lovers and all the, like, subgenres of enemies to lovers. Like, revenge books are different and, like, childhood friends to enemies to lovers are different and like it's a hard what's interesting is like because romance can romance serves you know all the kinks at once (laughs) you sort of have these I, I was like well revenge books don't count but of course they do count so I guess what are we looking for as readers when we're when we say like when you said at the beginning Tasha like writers who really do it well what is the magic what's the secret sauce Okay, so for me, the secret sauce is definitely, like, it has to be something that is going on with one of the characters that is unchangeable. Like, the thing that's keeping them apart is not something they can just be like, huh, and toss out and be like, now we can be together. Like, it still needs to remain an issue. Mm-hmm. And I think the only way it really works for me, because I'm looking at these now, is like, oh, my God, there's all like these heavy issues that's in the middle, like grief or infertility or, you know what I'm saying? Like, something that cannot be changed. 
I would agree with that. I think that's because otherwise it does. You're kind of like, why can't they just be flexible? Well, whatever yeah. this thing is that's driving them, it, it's hard to be flexible flexible about, right? Or I think it's like if it's a misunderstanding, it's so deep-rooted in like kind of the way they see the world mm-hmm. as opposed to just them being like jerks about it. I think that's pretty much the only reason, the only thing that works for me. It's like it has to be something real. I think there has to be a lot of chemistry. I'm going to tell you, like, there is talk of there being such a thing as, like, a slow burn enemies to lovers. And I'm like, that's a unicorn. That's like a six-fingered man. <laughs> I don't think that really exists. <laughs> you know, Jen, you have a lot of hang-ups. Um, I know. I do. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. You're just like, no, I don't like that. No. I mm. think it's I th- it's true, but I think it's and maybe it's just because you're it's like a high it's a tightrope anyway, and now yeah. it's a tightrope you've raised up to like a couple hundred feet. So I just think maybe like the degree of difficulty is so much harder that then when you fall, it's like so much more apparent that. I'm I'm like, oh, that didn't quite work for me, right? Like, so I part of me too is like, man, I don't know what it takes to really. You're just, it's like added an added degree of difficulty if you're gonna try and also make it a slow burn because the deliciousness of enemies to lovers for me is all about the chemistry. I think that's all about tension, though. Yeah, it, the only way it works if it's a slow burn, enemies to lovers, is like if you're still the characters individually are still feeling all that tension and just not acting on it. Like that kind of slow burn works for me, but not kind of like, Oh, I hate you. I hate you for 15 chapters. And then we just kind of slam our bodies together. That doesn't work. (laughs) I've talked about this book a thousand times on the podcast. And Jen actually earlier today was like, you can't talk about it. So I'm not going to talk about it, but Rachel Higginson's, um, the opposite of you, which is the chef romance that I love so much, which is a slow burn, works as an enemies to lovers because they're rival chefs, right? Or they're they're not really rivals, mm-hmm. but like they're chefs who are at each other's throats. He's sending her like notes on her food all the time. Like he's a real asshole. He's a jerk. And finally, right? yeah. And when it comes to pass that like she finally goes and eats in his restaurant under duress because she cannot stand <laughs> this guy, she discovers that like. His his entire menu is inspired by her. And like, you have this moment where you're like, oh my God, he's been into her forever. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you such a, why were you such a dick? Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I love it so much. And it's so problematic. Like, cause it's, it's so, I mean, it all goes back to that sort of thing we tell girls when they're growing up that like, oh, if a boy's mean to you, it means he really likes you, which is like so packed with like patriarchy and misogyny and like problematic relationships. Oh, but it works stuff. The, the way that, that, that book, it works well because, it scratches an itch. <laughs> yeah. Because he's like, it's not that he is, I don't think he's like pulling her hair or anything like that. I, like, mm. <laughs> he just doesn't know how to communicate properly is what it is. It's like, oh, I'm really impressed with this thing you made. But instead of just telling you that, let me criticize. Yeah, I'm going to tell you it needs more salt. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or also that he really sees that she can be better than she is. He just doesn't know how to communicate that. But it really works for so long because we think he's just a real jerk like her. And and you know what I mean? Like, I I do. I think that's like, there's always an exception that proves the rule. I mean, I'm totally fine with saying that, right? Like, that's a perfect example of when it does work. I do think, though, it's a real tightrope. I think it's it's really hard. Yeah. Tasha, let's start by actually maybe like talking about 
as we talk about our books today, like what part of the the enemies to lovers thing really works for us. Because I think maybe um, it's different things for different books. Like each one's an exemplar, not just an example. Okay, so I chose Grubby Jake by Melissa Blue. Um, it's enemies enemies to lovers, but also kind of like a forbidden romance. So and like it starts off where she's just kind of like. He's like one of those dirty dick motherfuckers that you really don't want to <laughs> yeah. mess around with because he's got such a bad reputation. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my God, you have dick down half of the staff here. <laughs> I don't care how fine you are. <laughs> I don't want to deal with you. So and then having his kid in her class kind of adds like an extra tension. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Right. So even when they start messing around, that tension is still there. It doesn't change. And his situation doesn't change. Like the reason why he hasn't he why he's such you know, a dirty dick mofo hasn't changed. (laughs) Like he, he has a reason behind that. So it doesn't, all those issues still remain at the center and it makes their, like, you know, the, the dark moment, like a real dark moment. So I will admit, I love, I I really like Melissa's books a lot. I have not read this one because (gasps) I am a teacher, but the (laughs) very idea of like hooking up with a parent is like, whoa. So I haven't read it. That feel, does not feel inappropriate <laughs> at all. It's not like he's a student. I mean, yeah. I'm here for that, too, but... It's so true. Yes, me too. Me too, Sarah. Me too. <laughs> if it's on the right side of the Simone scale... I'll tell you what, I might get over it. <laughs> I'm like, please do not tell people to stop writing those. Don't tell, stop doing that, Jen. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody to stop writing anything. Tasha, Tasha, I will always be the voice of reason on that. <laughs> So tell us a little more about, like, without spoiling it, Which is how hard. do you think, right, <laughs> I know, sometimes we kind of assume people have read along, like, with us. Um, I hope. What do you think, <laughs> how does she get over, like, once she finds out that he, like, kind of what the underlying issue is? Like, do you think that's really a key part, without maybe talking about, is that a key part of getting past it? Like, you finally see the other person's point of view? You have to see their humanity. Yeah. Her discovering the reason why he was the way he was. Like, she didn't really... She didn't ask him about it. She actually was kind of creepy about it. She she internet stalked him. So, like, she found out... Oh, boy. How, like, because there was no mom involved, there's this kid, he doesn't, and all the other teachers that he messed around with, it was like, he won't even introduce me to his kid. And they're like, I'm a teacher. I deal with kids all the time. Like, why don't you want me to deal with your kid? And she's like, there's got to be something else behind it. So then she, you know, she Googles him and she finds out what it is. And all of a sudden she's a softy. That's interesting. She doesn't really, yeah, she doesn't really explore the fact that, um, I, I think it's just kind of assumed. It's like, oh, this is why he, he doesn't, you know, have any relationships yeah. because he just doesn't feel safe. Right. Welcoming people in, in this situation. So it's not like he was just being, Trash because he was trash. I like that because sometimes I feel like people do not take the basic step in a book of just like Googling. (laughs) And often I'm like, why? It's like Google doesn't exist in contemporary romances. It's like an unwritten rule. (laughs) Well, I think you know what it is. I think a lot of people are still laboring under the assumption that like if you're writing contemporary romance, you can't write it in a way that's going to date it. And we're like, Mm. "Mm, this is such a, the internet is like, I mean, when you go to school for creative writing or any type of like literary fiction, they're always telling you that shit. It's like heavy handed. Yeah. Don't date your, don't date your work by talking about Facebook or Instagram. Like, bro, it's, this is our everyday. Real 
life. life. Yeah. Like, there's no way we can ex- exclude it now. It's been, what, like 15 years that we've been on all these apps and in our phones. And it just doesn't yeah. make any sense that a character would not be like, oh, I met this right. guy at a coffee shop. Let me Google his name. I'm going to do my yeah. Googles. Yeah. It's also not like Googling isn't going to be... A thing like we're not always right. going to know. Even if Google dies, like internet search is always going to be called Google, right? It's like Kleenex exactly. or Xeroxes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, when you read old contemporary romances, they're dated as fuck. The oh, idea that <laughs> the idea that you could avoid uh, dating your contemporary romance if you just don't mention sure. Like so that's technology. why I stopped worrying about it. I was like, this is a dumb rule, and yeah. I'm not going to pay attention. I mean, there are great contemporary romances from the late 80s and early 90s that I still reread, and they're, like, kind of nonsense now because they, you know, name-check celebrities who are in their 60s and 70s now. <laughs> it's, like, hot. But the reality is, like, okay, fine. Robert Redford was a snack. <laughs> Wait, I, even in the 90s? He was old in the 90s, well, though. All right, maybe it wasn't yeah. Robert Redford, but there's, like, there's a there's a <laughs> Judith McNaught that I really love, and it's like Kevin Costner is at the <laughs> wedding. <laughs> and like Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. You know, I always <laughs> felt like he was so bland, so I would have been like, hmm. Uh-huh. I know, but you know, I think he had a people's sexiest man alive time. I'm oh, pretty sure he did. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> so. like he is the generic kind of white man that they do. Yeah, love to I would walk past that, so. him. I would have walked well, past him at the at, in mean, the grocery store. Same. He has like Chris Evans face for me, but you know. Oh, see. Oh, you you getting spicy now? You can't do that. <laughs> now it's your turn to take it from Tasha. Fine, I'll be the good girl. I'm sorry, Tasha. <laughs> no, I don't like any of these Chris's. I think they all look the same to me. Like I don't. I just call them the Chris's and the yeah. Ryan's. I don't know. I like that ha- that Australian one. He's pretty hot, Thor, but. When he takes his shirt off, I like the way he looks underneath. Thor, Chris, yeah. <laughs> I don't care about his face. <laughs> okay. I mean, but Chris, I have Chris Evans' blindness. Like, I just can't, I can't see him. Unless he has a beard. And now that I know he's from, like, Massachusetts, like, I like to hear him be himself. Like, I like him in interviews. Because he's yeah. got, like, this, mm, me and my friend Katie were talking about this. It's like, he's got, like, this underlying dirtiness to him. Like, he seems, like, so wholesome and bland on the outside. He's like a boy from Southie, Yeah. Yes, and then he starts talking. I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> like that one interview. We should. I'm gonna drop that gif. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you guys drop a link because Fine. there's one that I go back and look at all the time where he's talking about um, when he was uh, interviewing for Knives Out, and he's interviewing with that one black uh, <laughs> reporter, and she has all these white boots, and he's like, "Look at those boots." Oh, <laughs> and then like at the end, he's like, you know, like he makes like a really harmless flirty joke like i was gonna wear those but i decided not to and good thing huh and then he just sips his coffee and licks his lips and looks her up and down in this way i was like hold on sir what are you doing <laughs> I, like, i don't think i've seen this wait but and this so is- did your did that cure your chris evans blindness or uh, no just i just like him in that gift just for like a moment, like there was like a glimmer of of yeah. It's kind of like the, the like the Robert Pattinson thing. Like he's only he's only hot in that Dior video. That the elevator. Commercial. It's yes. just that one elevator. <laughs> it's like let's stop pretending like he's hot, you guys. Dior just knows how to film him. Okay. Yes. Okay, but wait. This is the perfect segue for me to talk about one of my books because there's elevator banging in it. And oh, so there you go. See, look what we did. Silky segue. I knew it would come around again. Um, I was like, I don't hate everything. Everything. I love when people bang in an elevator. So, a, a book I actually think is sort of 
the platonic ideal, actually, of enemies to lovers for me is Beautiful Bastard by Christina Lauren. And I say this because the two, the uh, main characters are Chloe Marks and Bennett Ryan. And he, they she's like working for him. She's basically like an MBA candidate. She's worked at his company forever and he's like getting her to help him with some big project. And he is a jerk. Like I actually have had friends be like, I tried to read that book you recommended me and he's terrible. And I was like, yes, that's the whole point. It's enemies to lovers. You got to hate this guy. And they bang it out all over the office. I mean, over desks, in hallways, in, I mean, and they just, wait, and isn't she an intern in that? Yeah. So like, it's okay. You can't date your student's parent, but you can date your, you can bang it out all over the office. I've never worked at an office. I mean, this. (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm like, I don't know. Sure. Why not? As everyone knows, like I'm fine with all of it, but I'm just trying to figure out where Jen's line is. No, I think Jen's line is personal. It's, it's just personal. personal. Like, oh, yeah, I can't absolutely. read. I can't read NA because, like, I have a kid that's 22. Absolutely yeah. not. No, it's, it's personal. Oh, no, that's I, not okay. I you can't would never that. shame anyone for loving any book with, like, the teacher, student, <laughs> grumpy, Jake, you do it. It's just for me. You're like, yeah, that's yeah. my job. It's weird. In an office, <laughs> I've never in my life worked in a cubicle, like, ever. I don't know what that's like. I mean, that Great. sounds like hell, actually. It um, does. For beautiful bastards, like I, I mean, what is it? Was it? Is it beautiful bastard? Yeah, it, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna be 100 percent honest. I never read that book because it felt like it was kind of one of those um, reiterations of Fifty Shades. Here's why I I don't think it is. She is a stronger character. Yes. If mm. it if it is at all, it's them. It, you know, and I couldn't speak for them. They'd be like, "Well, this is garbage." She would not be putting up with this bullshit, right? And in fact, one of my other favorite reasons I love this book is at the end when she finally like gets sick of his bullshit, she leaves that motherfucker in cold storage for eight weeks. Yep. Ooh. It's really deliciously earned. Yes. <laughs> Where she like fucking takes her phone offline and doesn't answer calls. He yeah. has to like, like that one woman that walked in. <laughs> this is like a yes. Twitter meme that she's like, "Oh, I walked in on my boyfriend cheating on me, and I brought him like breakfast in a game, a video game for his game system, and I just left that shit there, walked out, yep. deleted him from my phone, deleted yep. my, <laughs> told like, all my friends not to talk to him, not yeah. to tell him what happened. Like, to told me. my parents like, "Listen, this is what's going on. Moved out of the city." I'm like, listen, a hero. Exactly. And this is what I like. Because basically, she is, even though, and she's really like, you cannot fuck up my job. Like, we can have Mm. this hate sex all over, but do not make me look unprofessional. And the reason she finally, like, gives him, like, the kick to the curb is she overhears him talking to, like, sort of another guy, you know, from another company in a way that is, like, real dismissive of her. And I think he even refers to her as, like, a kid. And she is like, fuck you. And that's, I think, the reason it works for me is even though it it does have that, like, we're in the corporate office, she is not, like, a pushover. Like, what's her name? I can't remember. Anna. Uh, yeah. Anastasia. Anastasia. I'm watching a lot of Frozen over here, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you poor. Oh, you poor woman. <laughs> that's it for me, too. For In Enemies to Lovers, I need them to be... I need like Clash of the Titans. I don't want one to be a weakling. I want them to be really like, yeah. 
Well, I do think that that's the hallmark of a Christina Lauren book. Like there's uh, the heroines are never weaklings. And that's what sets those books apart from a lot of the the rest. It sort of separates them from a lot of the rest of the the group that, send, that tend to be writing around Christina and Lauren. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree. I think Beautiful Bastard is real hot. Like I think oh, it yeah. did come. I mean, Tasha's not wrong. It came sort of all, it all kind of burst at the same time time you know it was that it was the first of those like trade paperback sexy mm-hmm. contemporaries off the set kind of riding the heels of that like rise of sexy contemporary but like out of mass market out of ebook like you yeah. know published by a non-romance publisher oh i thought they were self-pub that's crazy I, no I no they were pub- published by gallery which is not a romance publisher huh Here's the other thing. I want to I want to talk about the elevator scene though before you continue cuz it's fucking funny as hell. They're in an elevator and they start making out and she's like, "What about the cameras?" And this motherfucker reaches up and puts a post-it on the ceiling <laughs> over like the camera lens and I was like, "I admire nice. your ingenuity." Yes. That was very smart. He just, he was prepared. Considerate. Yes. <laughs> he was prepared. He's like, I've got this file folder here. I've got some post-its in my suit jacket. I can just I've got you. I was planning to bone you in the elevator. <laughs> like I liked it. I liked that sense that he was like, "We're gonna bone in the elevator, but no one else is gonna see but us." <laughs> I mean, but it, that could be funny as well, though. Too, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> in a romance novel, not in real life. Sure, of but. course. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because I do think work is a natural, um, a natural location for enemies to lovers. Like rivalry becomes mm-hmm. is such a like great way of setting up two characters who are both strong will, both incredibly competent. You know, everybody knows that we've talked before that like competence porn is my whole thing. Um, and when you have two characters who are like equally competent and sort of balanced in that way, it sets up a very different kind of enemies to lovers relationship, which is what is happening in um well actually it's what's happening in in uh, Mia Sosa's The Worst Best Man, which is one of my two picks today, which I'm going to talk about together because I also picked Sarah Mayberry's The Best Worst Mistake, which is a very <laughs> similar title and also a sort of similar setup because both of these books begin with a character being jilted at the alt altar. Oh, wow. um, and in in now that I, love both that, of I feel these like books. I feel like. <laughs> jilted at the altar like I, I still haven't read one that i'm like okay mm. <laughs> well but this is not neither of these are reconciliation books okay neither good of these are second chance right. books no no, oh, no, no, yeah, no those men are dead to us for sure no that's yeah. it fuck those guys cold storage forever um jilted at the unless i mean unless there's some great reason like you know they're a vampire and suddenly internally eternally you know in in fire. The wedding was during the day. I think it make it. Exactly. Like, like, I don't know. I don't know. It there has to be a great I reason. Think of one either. Um, anyway, so the, but Mia's book, um, the heroine is a wedding planner and she is jilted. Um, Ugh, at the, like she's at the altar and like left and, um, you know, it's horrible, right? It's horrible on what Mia does so well is she layers, you know, it's just good writing period, but she layers in like all, all the horrors, like for, this is extra horrible and extra embarrassing for a wedding planner to be jilted at, at, the, at the altar. Right. And so she's like, fine. I have to just like put that behind me and move forward. And she gets this opportunity to work for a big hotel chain 
as like the kind of planner on staff for them. And it turns out that she ends up having to collaborate, like having to work alongside for like some big project. Um, his, the best man from the wedding that she was jilted at. It's also the dude's brother, right? Isn't it the dude's brother? Oh, no. Who's also the ex-fiance's brother. Yeah, so, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See, now I'm all like, give it a chance, Tasha. Don't say no to things. Know. Don't be that way. Because I, <laughs> I feel like I would have rage quit the whole family. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well and if she, of course, thinks that the brother has, like, been involved in getting like essentially she's like your brother jilted me at the altar clearly you were involved in this fuck you i hate you exactly but she needs this guy to succeed at this like new life that she's trying to put together for herself after having had like this massive life trauma like emotional trauma and i actually interestingly when i was thinking about it today i'm reading tasha your new book right now i might be dying (laughs) <laughs> and, thinking about, and I've been thinking so much first of all I wish that I wish we had had you on when we were talking about women who work because I feel like it's so the, good for this yeah it's such a good and also Jen and I just talked and we're putting it but whatever I don't want to spend too much time thinking wait but the title is remember I'm terrible at titles let's do this right what is the name of the book <laughs> A taste of her own medicine. A taste of her own medicine. So anyway, the reason why I was thinking about this in light of my pick, Mia's book, is that, like, you do this really... So the heroine of your book has this... Um, has been through a divorce. She was a stay-at-home mom, or she was a... She was a, she was a, a stay-at-home mom, and, like, take she took care of business, and now she's trying to figure out how to reimagine her life now that her marriage has ended, and she has a teenage daughter, and she's trying to just, like, get hold of herself and, like, figure out her future and, like, carve a path for herself that is separate from the life that she had before in some ways. And, like, who among us hasn't had that experience? And I feel like what Mia does in this book is she says this. she's basically created this character who's doing a similar thing where, like, she had this Mm -hmm. terrible past thing that was horribly embarrassing, impacted her career, impacted her life, changed the way she thought about herself, and now suddenly here's this guy who is, like, the embodiment of that memory, returned and she needs him to succeed in this new life mm. you know away That's from a, yikes, the past y'all. and it is real <laughs> fucking nuance yes it's a lot yes. of layers yeah that's a lot that's that's like a triple yikes yeah, and it's but it's great because they can't stand each other. She, of course, is like, get the hell away from me. We're only talking if we have to talk. Like, we're never interacting. And then, of course, like, they fall in love. Um, and then in the reverse, there's my um, kind of, like, primordial text for enemies to lovers is Sarah Mayberry's Her Best Worst Mistake, which we've talked, we sort of danced around on the podcast before. But it's a similar setup where the hero of that book was jilted at the altar by his bride, who happens to be the heroine's best friend. And in this case, we know for a fact the heroine was like, you should not marry this guy. This guy is not right for you. 
Yeah. And she didn't like him. She never thought he was good enough for her friend. She thought he was too crusty and too grumpy and like not, this is like grumpy hero kind of sunshiny heroine match too, for those of you who are always looking for that. (laughs) And she basically was like, you're not good enough for my friend. You shouldn't marry her. Like she shouldn't marry you. I don't like you. You're the worst. But you're good for me. Yeah. Well, wait. And then he comes to her house. It begins and he comes to her house and he's pissed and rightly so. And he's like, you shouldn't get to have decided that I'm not right for her. Like, how do you even know? And they have this knockdown drag out. And then like it turns into absolute pure like fuck fiery sexual tension and then a hate fuck. And then it just destroys them both. Like they just can't figure out their They can't get their heads on straight anymore. And it's great i do feel like the best enemies to lovers have to have like that first one has to be a hate fuck where like in this one they literally he just like gets up and leaves or no she goes to the bathroom and hides and is like i hope he fucking leaves (laughs) (laughs) she's like i've made a huge mistake (laughs) because i like it when they don't even realize they're like oh shit what did i just do and Mm -hmm. we are like yes that's what i want you're ruined forever i'm invested Mm -hmm. in these books now I hope you know that you're about to make me like break my moratorium on buying books. There, I mean, that Sarah Mayberry has been free recently. It might still be free. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Tasha, you have one other one for sure that you want to talk about. Is that right, too? I do. But now I feel okay. like like you guys have really good ones. And mine are no, kind of just like, no, that's they're not, all really they're good They're all ones. really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're all really good. But they all, the, the ones that I chose are not really Great enemies to lovers. Maybe I'm really a punk when it comes to it. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I think you're really onto something, though. I think each one of these is, like, doing something different, right? Yes. So, Agreed. Like, when you're talking about Grumpy Jake, like, I keep thinking about it. You know, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try and get past this teacher thing. Because the whole idea that the real cause of the problem is something that, like, that person can't talk about. Yeah. Or, you know, when we talk about, like, being strong and having two people kind of be like gladiators kind of going at each other. Like, I think that there's, I'm really interested in figuring out like, well, what's the X factor. And it sounds like, like, that's why you have to like talk about a lot of them. So you go ahead and you tell us what other one you have on your list. I have next everything's better with Lisa by Lucy Eaton and full disclosure. This is like a trope sink. Like there's there's lots of, she just threw every trope in there, but it starts off like in the first, in the first act is mostly enemies to lovers. Like he's just, he's their drunken neighbor and shows up in the middle of the night. And like, I love it. I love it too. Put it in my veins. They live in brownstones uh, in Brooklyn and he, stumbles up to the wrong brownstone and he's trying to jam his key in there and I she's like what the fuck are you right doing now. he's like i'm trying to get in my house she's like this is not your house <laughs> <laughs> tasha oh. i love it when she thinks that he's trifling like he's that like, is the best yes yeah, like this trifling dude he's dragging up here 2 a.m on a weekday on a school night y'all drunk <laughs> can't figure out so drunk he can't figure out which door is his so and that's where it starts off and so like there's there's this separation because she has this idea of him like being like this drunken frat boy yeah you know or like some wall street guy like he works in business it's like this guy who who goes to bars in his suit and like hooks up with people and then comes home and rings my doorbell or tries to get into my apartment every night And you know why that's so powerful? Because I do think, especially now, I 
like we talk a lot about, um, like at the end of the romance, they have to have their HEA, but you also have to really believe that they like can trust in each other. Mm-hmm. And to me, like the, like that very premise that like, you're going to get a, like a, a heroine who needs like security and stability and like a, a, a like a good, a good man. Yeah. That if he starts out low like that, <laughs> It's like, how, how is he going to recover? How is he going to recover? And I think that's that actually to me is a really powerful, I, I'm i into that for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how it starts off. And it's kind of like they end up being neighbors. There's a secret baby. Like, mm-hmm. but the baby's not his. You know what I mean? It's like he just acquires a baby, which is kind of my favorite <laughs> My favorite way for secret baby to happen, like, oh, somebody, di- wait, this is, I have to take care of this. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, parents have no idea how to do that. They like give you the baby when you're leaving the hospital. It's like, okay, so how do I not kill it? Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of like that dichotomy. And then her being there and just kind of like knowing that he needs help, but still believing that he's a trash human, but maybe the baby doesn't deserve to be dragged through that. And that's oh. how they end up coming together like because they live so close you can hear the baby screaming at night so does she have to like help him figure that shit out yep oh interesting like literally teaching him how to be a like a a parent like a, yes yeah. like to be a human who does not a responsible like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't leave a baby like sitting on the steps sort of thing <laughs> you know like i was just running in to get something here's this baby <laughs> I don't love babies in romance, but I see their purpose, right? And sometimes their purpose is just like, here is the ultimate responsibility, right? So if you're going to show someone being completely irresponsible at the beginning, it is a way to show total competence at the end if they can take care of a child. Yes, it's like it's this line of demarcation. Like, you absolutely have to grow up. And I think, like, I'm not keen on babies in romance either, like, I would prefer, like, five- and six-year-olds, I'm cool with. But, like, babies, uh, they, feel, are you? they seem like huge <laughs> cock-blocks. I mean, well, all kids are cock-blockers. Babies especially. <laughs> when was the last time you hung out with a six-year-old? Um, <laughs> Do you want one? Time. No. <laughs> Did you guys see that tweet yesterday where a guy said, people keep saying that there's going to be a baby boom in nine months, and they're no. all going to be first children? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Honest yes. to God, I'm like, everyone, do not do this. <laughs> Use like, contraception. Listen, what please. is wrong with you? <laughs> I just had an argument with my son about buying the wrong poop bags. This is where we are. I <laughs> saw <laughs> that on your Twitter. <laughs> He's like, oh my God. These are the wrong bags. No, first he asked me, where are the poop bags? I was like, they're in the drawer where we always put the poop bags. He's like, no, <laughs> where are the blue ones? I'm like, this is an argument for real? Like, this is where we're at? <laughs> like, You're like, and he, he's 18. <laughs> and he's 18. <laughs> so it's like, uh, oh, no. Yeah. There's no way I can have an elementary school age kid. But back to that, like, I, like, I don't really I don't really care for babies and romance, but if they're handled well, I'm fine with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I don't like it when the baby intrudes on the romance too much. Right. It's like, that's real life. We know kids get in the way of, you know, right. romance in real life. We don't want that in the book. That's unnecessary. I think it's really hard because the baby can, like, take up all the oxygen in the romance. And it's mm-hmm. really, you have to really f- focus on the two people becoming a 
I guess three, whatever, the adults becoming a romantic partnership and not the three people becoming a family in order for it to, like, keep that romance part. And I want want them to be a family, but I don't want that to be, like, the story. I know that makes me sound real fucking ruthless. Well, because it's kind of like, oh, well, I'm I'm just hooking up with you because I'm here for the baby. Like, you need help with the baby, so I'm just going to take care of the baby. And maybe I'll slide you some dick because you're here, too. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like the worst scenarios, like people who get married because they got pregnant type scenario. Yeah, well, there's, yes. I will say, so there's that Kylie Scott. So Kylie Scott did the, her first series, or I don't know if it was her first series, but she did the Rockstar series. And then the Rockstar series sort of like spun off into a bar series. And the first book of that, of that, um, that second series, which I don't remember the title of, we'll put in show notes. Um, it begins with the heroine, like nine months pregnant, like kind of coming into the bar and like, she's like about (laughs) to pop. And I remember reading it and being like, what the fuck is about to happen in this book? (laughs) Because she has no relationship. This is not like the baby is not his. Like she does not this. She is just a, like a woman who is pregnant and they, and he ends up giving her a room like above the bar. Like basically he like rents her an apartment or a room above the bar and she has the baby and he like helps her take care of a literal infant. Like, and I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) And I will say this, like, I really, like, if that is a thing, listen, you guys, if that is a thing that you are, that you think you might be into, this is a really great book. But it was a lot for me having a two-year-old or whatever when I read it, <laughs> being like, what? I mean, well, you you lost me at a pregnant lady comes in the bar because I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? That, that's yeah, but if that situations. is your thing, like if your thing is, is like men who step up and like want to help yeah. caretake, like this book will scratch every itch you have. I just think here's like a little like a rule of thumb. If you are an author and you're writing a book about a baby – or like a woman who has an infant and you talk about her boobs as like nursing more than sexy, then I think the like ratio is wrong. Like that's when it doesn't work for me. I don't want to talk about nursing in a like romance ever. And I know that seems bad, but I don't like, I was like, this isn't sexy. What? Like, because it it changes into something else. Like the boobs are not, they're not for you anymore. Right. That's right. And (laughs) you know what? Of course, that's like their real intended purpose. And I understand that. But like in a romance, like it's often this like sort of shorthand I have for like, okay, there's this baby, but like, it's like a shorthand that the baby story is getting more time than the like development of the romance story. I've had a few go wrong that way. That's been like always the, <laughs> always like the little hint. This <laughs> is like, oh, why are we talking about her nursing being sexy? Ooh. But you know what? I do. This is sort of a separate thing, but I do feel like ha- I've, and I know Jen, you and I have talked about this before, but like I feel like there's a lot to mine about why babies and romances exist. Yeah, and like we should do an interstitial about babies at some point. Uh, uh, why does it? Why does it? Exist? I don't patriarchy. <laughs> marriages exist in romance. Yeah, it's yeah. internalized patriarchy. Like we have to. Like we we still haven't gotten past that point where we're like, oh, happily ever after involves some sort of nuclear family. Right. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. Yeah, but I do think I think there's also some like I. It's all. You're absolutely right. It's all <laughs> patriarchy. It's all patriarchy. But like babies <laughs> as the plot point of a book is also mm. like there's something in there that I that's packed in about like what what certain types of readers are looking for and like 
what womanhood looks like to so many people. And mm-hmm. like, it's really, it's one of those topics that I feel like, like we sort of skirt around so much because neither Jen nor I like kids in romance novels. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm like, you're going to need a special guest to talk yeah, about there's that. There's a lot maybe. to mine there. Yeah. yeah. I also think it's, uh, we talk a lot about, I know we're like far afield from enemies to lovers, but this is super interesting. <laughs> so we're just going to continue just down this path. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other things that sort of happens is I do, I never want my romance in my brain. Every romance I've ever read, the romantic pairings are still alive and doing well. Hmm. So I never want them to get really old, but I think like a baby is sort of a, like it's far enough into the future that you as readers are like, Oh, they're still around. They're still happy They're It's a few years in the future, whatever. And you can signal that without having to make them, you know, at death's door. <laughs> and so I think part of the other thing is like, what is it telling the reader is like, they've made it through some hard shit together. See, cause everybody who's had kids knows it's hard shit. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing you're I really mean, but like marriage is period too. Like I oh, think God, a lot, yeah. I think a lot of times the way the marriages and relationships like are handled in romances are, is very with kid gloves. Like nobody ever has any real problems. And, yeah. like, right now, I'm kind of one of the tropes that I've been really obsessed with is, like, marriage in trouble. Like, yes. how people navigate that. Because when you've been married to somebody for 15 years, like, you have to make a decision. It's like, am I going to stay with your ass for the rest of my life? Because I don't know if I like you right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, funny. Because people are saying there'll be a big baby boom. I predict in romance we're going to see a bunch of marriage and trouble stories. Yes. Because all of this close contact, like. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's one thing for you to want your husband to be home after work. It's something else for him to be home all day. Yeah, and you learn so much more about each other during that that time where you're like, I don't. Is this what we signed up for? (laughs) I mean, and also it is a totally different. Like this is such a weird experience. Like living truly in like. Total close quarters. Like, no one goes out. Nobody has time. You know, nobody goes out for a drink with their friends. I'm waiting for this to be, like, a happily ever after the pandemic thing. So I can't write a story about it, but I can't write one Mm -hmm. now because, like... Oh, yeah, no. Like, how how is it a happily ever after if you are still trapped in your house? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you guys remember... I mean, obviously, we all remember the TV show The Wire. Oh, yes. (laughs) My dad, my, my dad was a character in that. Wait, really? He was mm, yeah. The the last the <laughs> pause. The last two seasons. Okay, so my dad, it, he works in um, politics. He lives in Baltimore. The year that Martin O'Malley was running for mayor, um, my dad was working for a newspaper called the Afro American. It was like the last black newspaper in Baltimore, and he was writing some really scathing, you know, articles about this guy because it was the first white mayor to campaign in a very long time in the city, you know? So like he was writing all these really scathing articles about him. And then Martin just shows up at his newspaper and was like, I want you to come and be my press secretary. He was like, "Mm, nah, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) But then he kind of like courted him for a while and they ended up being friends. Like it's like a total bromance. But, um, fast forward, um, like the, the year, I think he was already mayor and, because the guy who wrote The Wire, I can't remember his name now. He, David he also Simon. Did, yes. He also was involved in Homicide, Life on the Street, which is mm-hmm. also filmed in Baltimore. So 
everybody knows him. You know, all the all the newspaper guys know him. They, you know, sure. they, so he just picks up the phone. He's like, "Hey, so we're gonna do a season on you know Martin's election and all that, and I want to send a guy to you so that he can." talking to my dad, I want to send a guy to you so he can like shadow you and like see what you do and pick up your mannerisms and stuff. And my dad was like, fuck no, I don't want to be on this show. (laughs) And what's crazy. He didn't tell us any of this. Me and my husband are watching this season and we look and we're like, hold up. He was like, hold up. Is that supposed to be your dad? I was like, oh my God. I was like, he walks like him. Like he has this rhythm of speech and everything. Wow. <laughs> That's, That's really cool. It was crazy. He, he doesn't like me to talk about that, but he doesn't listen to podcasts. So it doesn't matter. He's, yeah. But, um, and I'm, he'll, never I'm, know. he'll never know. But, um, but yeah, like I can't remember what the name of the character was on the show, but he was like, he was the, the white mayor's right hand man, the black guy, older black guy. Okay, we'll dig yeah. it up and put it yeah. in show notes. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm kind of glad to hear you, Tasha, say that your dad and Martin O'Malley got they they got along, and Martin O'Malley ultimately became a cool dude because I remember when he ran for president. No, he's a super cool guy, and yeah. I was like, oh, I like this. I like this guy. Like, he was, but see, you know, I didn't like him when he was running for president because he was so shiny. And I kept mm. telling my dad, I was like, are you talking to Martin? I said, who's handling him now? It's like, he looks like a salesman. I don't <laughs> like it. Because, like, he is, he, Martin O'Malley is like a true-to-life down in the basement of a Catholic church on New Year's Eve drinking oh, whiskey yeah, with a priest type much. of guy. Like, he, yeah. he is just like a, a true Irishman, you know. And he probably would have rated better. If yes. he'd been more authentic, right? If he had been more authentic the way that he is, yeah. he probably would have rated better. I, I, hmm. I mean, I like him as a person. I, I didn't really care for his politics yeah. when he was mayor. Yeah, mayor. It was problematic, but, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll tell you, it's all about local government now, though, yep. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's True. the thing. My brother works in local government, and, you know, I live in Chicago. The difference between having Lori Lightfoot as our mayor versus having um, Rahm Emanuel, I mean, mm. it's it, like, or, you know, we have J.B. Pritzker now in Illinois as our governor, and he, um, you know, we all walk around right now saying, like, what if we had Bruce Rauner? Right. Like if we had a Republican governor governor right now, we would be in such worse shape. And so that's the part that's really hard. I also hard. think it makes a big difference. I think it makes a big difference if your local um your local representatives, yeah, like your representatives like like government on a local level, it makes more sense if they are more focused on the actual place that they're governing yeah. versus mm-hmm. having like aspirations towards the white house. Like if they, right. like if their only reason to be in government is to get to DC, then they're never going to work for you. That's no. Democrat or Republican. I mean, it and, also, it feels like living in New York city or Baltimore or, you know, any number of places like or Chicago, the mayor of a city is just not the same. A mm-hmm. great mayor does not make a great president. Those are two very different skill sets. Yes. You you need a mayor to be super hands-on. But she was going to say something about the wire, though. I was. You know what? Here's what I was going to say. This is really terrible. I don't know if you guys remember this. This is why this is relevant. It's not. But, like, back (laughs) when they would, like, sell drugs on the street and how they, like, had a different name for it every day. Like, it was, like... Right, and one like, it was come get your red taps, get your red taps, get that blue fire. In one episode, it's pandemic, yes. and they'd be like pandemic, and we for twenty however many years, my husband and I will like shout at each other like pandemic, like it's funny, <laughs> and, and that's that. they ruined it. They've ruined it. Science ruined it. We can just it. do the Cardi B. <laughs> Coronavirus. <laughs> Coronavirus. I will call myself 
sister, uh, ever since we've been in isolation, I'll just call her and shout that and hang up. Oh, yeah. I did it. I did it to my son the other day, and he was like, oh, my God, so my my dad was Italian, and my sister and I, for the last three days, have just been calling each other and repeating in the original Italian one line from that Italian mayor shouting at people video. <laughs> that was that was gold. Oh my perfect. god! It was the so translation good. is: um, I said to him. You are not Will Smith. This is not. <laughs> not I am legend. I am legend. <laughs> Wait, do it in Italian, Sarah. Non say Will Smith. <laughs> Questo non è io sono legenda. <laughs> it sounds like way less aggressive. Literally, <laughs> we have been yelling this at each other for three days. I, I love the one, the one, the one Italian mayor that was like, "Why are you going to the hairdresser?" Oh yes. yeah, it's like the woman. You know what's gonna see you. You're gonna be in your coffin. Yes. Oh, your coffin's no. gonna be closed anyway. Did you see the right. woman who did the same? Who the female mayor? There's a second video. Oh, I haven't so we'll seen put it. all these links in. You guys, these are joyous, oh, delightful yes, are. links They're that will amazing. give you big laughs. But she, so it begins with her saying, "Stop." taking your dogs out for walks. These dogs are exhausted. <laughs> right? And then she's like, and the thing that makes me crazy is all you people going to get your hair cut and waxed. You'll be perfectly waxed and everything will be perfect, but you'll be dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, as someone who put off, put off a haircut, I was like, oh, it'll be spring break. I'll get my hair cut. And now mm. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have that scraggly looking hair. It's not a good look. Well, mine, mine was right after they had shut the city down. And I was like, well, shit. And it was the night before. So I thought she's going to cancel it. I don't have to cancel. And then I get a notification that she took my $40 anyway. I was like, you know what? You can have it. You can have it. You know yeah. what? It wasn't a big deal. It was like, yeah. you know what? You can have it because you probably have a whole lot of cancellations. But also, oh, you yeah. could have sent me a text. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, while we're at it, well, I just PSA to everybody, if you have a hairdresser or, like, a person who does your nails or somebody you see regularly. Pay them. Pay them. Yeah. Right. Either pay uh, that's them. That's why I was going to do it anyway is the thing. It's just I didn't like it, having the decision taken from me. Exactly. Yes, well. And a lot of people, a lot of these organizations are doing GoFundMes for their stylists or mm-hmm. they're doing um, gift cards that you can yes. buy now and use later. Um, same with restaurants. Restaurants, same with, you know, think about yeah. the small businesses that are in your ecosystem and yeah. think about how you can support them even without seeing them. It's yeah. hard. Yes. Pandemic, <sighs> everybody. Including, oh, pandemic. In, including independent <laughs> bookstores. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> wow. I know. Well, that was a digression. <laughs> also, um, uh, I'm going, just taking it back to Enemies to Lovers. If you love Enemies to Lovers and you haven't read Cressley Cole's Immortals After Dark series, boy, <laughs> do you have a pandemic ride ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> Start there. There are 20 books. You're going to be so happy. I want to wrap up by, if we can, because I know we're getting to time. I I did really want to shout out a book by Julie James, which I really liked called, wait, I have to look up the title because, you know, I don't ever remember them, um, <laughs> called The Thing About Love. Sorry. We're so and bad at this. I know. They're the worst. They're rival um, FBI agents, and they essentially oh. meet up at Quantico, and they fucking hate each other. And it's six years later, and they get put on a case together, and they have to Oof. pretend essentially to be a married couple. Mm. And what I 
really like about it is that, remember, we were talking back to Grumpy Jake about how you have to get the other person's point of view. Yeah. What Julie James does in this book, and it's really masterful, is she goes back to six years earlier at Quantico and has these, like, paired scenes where we get, like, some shit went down and we see it from one person's point of view and then the other person's point of view. So we, the readers, know what's happening with them. And then we get to watch these two kind of figure it out together. And I think it's a really smart twist on Enemies to Lovers where we're then, like, the audience, like, rooting for these two to, like, just see past their dumb things they believe about each other. And so it's like, I think there's a lot of really clever ways that people get around that um, that sense that they're like, there's no way they can ever possibly see each other's point of view. And I just thought it was like a really clever take on it. So I just wanted to shout that out before we wrapped up. Cool. Julie is so unsung. I feel like she's so undersung, I should say. Like, she, oh, she's so good. That FBI she's, series is really solid. Like, yeah. every book, she, every, they're all focused on, like, a group of Chicago FBI agents and district attorneys. And, like, she's a lawyer, so it all feels very authentic. And she's, I just, I really love her work. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, Tasha, we are going to actually... Tell us about your latest book, but please know that Sarah and I are already plotting a episode um, for later. Can we also uh. talk about the fact that Tasha's about Tasha's currently like the next book that's coming out is a food book? Oh, yes, it's and a chef book, and I can't wait. I there want you go. it. Can you send it's it? A to chef, it's a chef competition, and it's it's not enemies to lovers. It's a second chance romance, but and there's a quote-unquote secret baby. If you're reading the first book, you get the baby's not secret. You know the baby's <laughs> It's just secret to him. He don't know about it. Um, but yeah, um, the uh, A Taste of Her Own Medicine is, was a book that just fell into my brain. Um, mm. I was going through, I don't know, I have so many ideas, and sometimes you just can't get the, them to come out the way you want to, right? So I had just finished up um, The Truth Duet, which is, like, a lot of heavy topics, police brutality and, like, addiction and family, inter- family interpersonal relationships. Like, it was just a lot. It was, like, 110,000 words of the two books together of heavy shit. And I just wanted to write something light, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I always write kind of like core issue books. Like there's always kind of like a core issue, but Mm -hmm. they were happy around it. And I was like, I need to figure out a way to give my brain some rest from this stuff. And, you know, three months went by, four months went by, six months. I'm like, well, okay. So I guess I can't write anything anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm, I'm a hack. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, that's not true. Everybody. It's a great (laughs) book. Yeah. It's fantastic. And then I went to Chicago with my husband for my birthday, and I was complaining to him the whole time because we were doing all this book stuff. And I was like, when I got back home, I was like, maybe I should just do a challenge. Like, maybe I should just challenge myself to write a whole bunch of words in a short amount of time, like NaNoWriMo, but not as long, Mm -hmm. and see what happens. So I jumped on Twitter. I was like, hey, I'm going to write 20K in five days. Y'all want to do it with me? And then I shut my phone down and didn't come back until later on that day because I was just assuming I'm putting this out there because I need accountability, but there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the world right now. Maybe nobody's going to see it. Lies, lies. <laughs> when I came back, everybody's like, how are you doing? How are you doing? What you doing? I was like, listen, I don't know. I'm just, this is me shouting <laughs> it out right now. So I ended up writing the first half of that book during um, that. And now, like, it's 
the, the challenge itself has become something that I'm really in love with. But yeah, so that book, um, it wasn't, I'd never really written a heroine that was just the same age as me. Mm. And I, I kind of have an aversion to the cougar thing. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, older woman, younger man. Nah, it's not my favorite because I but have But she sons. had an aversion to it too. And yeah. I think that's kind of why it that's works. That's why it right? works. Yeah. She's like, what are we doing? I'm like, bro, you are a child. He's like, no, I'm a man. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, but you're not. Yes, you are in that way. Yeah. But in this way, <laughs> you're 10 yeah. years younger than me. And like, it was a big deal to her. And it would have been to anyone, especially yeah. if you're, you know, you've been married all these years. I love the moment where she's like, you're nine years younger than me. And he's like, well, 10 10, really? And I'm like, what? He's like, you're doing no, math. You're wrong. Because <laughs> he really doesn't care. He's like, and yeah. what? And she's like, uh, so a whole decade. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, that made me feel much better. <laughs> I'm out. You fought and all, but bye. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it makes sense that, like, I had to get. I think in writing it, I had to get around it in my own head to like, how could I make this situation if I was this person work for me? And I hope, I guess I came across well, but also Atlas was just dreamy. Oh yeah. When he, listen, you guys, I'm not even going to listen. I'm all like, listen, Listen. when he, they're in the barbershop and everyone's like, what does she look like? And he describes her like us. God damn. I was like, my Sarah would say, my pants flew off my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, was I wearing underwear? They had cinnamon. Oh, <laughs> and everybody, he, and like, he describes her like a song. He's yeah. It's like, it's like a familiar song, but I don't know the words, but I want to remember it. Like that kind of thing. Oh, God, so was, good. It's really, really romantic. It's and ending. I love, I love yeah. the barbershop scene because like I've been oh, in barbershops with my kids and like people are like it. It's such a weird space to be in as a woman. So I like the idea of the barbers being women. Yeah. So they're kind of policing it a little bit. Like, we're not going to have that objectification going in here. Like, right. we're not going to talk about this woman and her body yeah. parts. Like, <laughs> all of them are ready to launch into it. Like, well, tell me about ass. No, sir. Not here. No. Not here. Right. And then there's, like, the old man who yes. is, yeah. like, he's talking about his future wife. I mean, like, it is. Yeah. When Sarah said it was romantic, I, I'm actually going to say I was like, "This is romance right here." It's so romantic. Aww. Yes, and I mean, but aside from being so romantic, like I said this earlier, but I love every business is owned by a woman. And right yeah. now, I'm just like, I think I've said this before in the podcast, but like, I fired all the men who like were <laughs> service providers over the last year, just because I was mm-hmm. like, I need more women in my life, like only women. And so I was really happy about that. I want to live in this town. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's, I, I modeled it after a part of town in this town. Unfortunately, oh, nice. there's not a lot of women business owners. There's quite a few. Yeah. But also yeah. I made it, I blacked it up a whole lot. Like there, there's, yeah. not, there's, there's a, a handful of black businesses over there, but they're older businesses like, like Ken folks, like Mr. Kipps, um, restaurant. So they're kind of like teetering on the brink of not being able to hang around for a while. Like it's definitely a neighborhood in transition. And the people who are, um, building businesses down there, they're definitely like scrappy oh, elder millennials, like trying to hold on to the integrity of the neighborhood. But yeah. you know, you know, these well, two lifestyles clashing together is like, the thing. Yeah. 
So go out right now, everybody, and find that business in your neighborhood and figure and out how to support it, it through this. Yeah. That's what we got to do. Yeah, oh, Tasha, if you have a couple of businesses in Green, it's it's Greenville, right? Are we yes. allowed to say that? Okay. Yes, okay, you can say that. I mean, they can come and get me if they want to. I got guns. <laughs> if you have any <laughs> small businesses in Greenville that you really love and you want us and like you think are shipping or whatever, um, why don't you let us know and we'll put them in show notes. What else did you want to know about that book? Like, I kind of love that book. No, you did a. It's we're gonna we have <laughs> we're plans gonna talk about it. Well, also, you should know it. that it's really filthy, and I didn't. Oh fuck! Can I ask you a real question? I yes. had. Okay, I'm sorry. Since I have you, the Subaru. <laughs> the scene in the Subaru. I was like, sometimes when I'm reading, I was like, I'm always like, was this like a a test? Where you're like, think of the least sexy thing and make it sexy. And someone's like, Subaru. And Tasha Harrison's like, done. Big facts. Um, I actually (laughs) hate Subaru Outbacks. Everyone around here has them. Like, it's like this, (laughs) there's this weird dichotomy in this town. It's like, either you have a BMW because there's a BMW factory here. Or you drive like this super crunchy Subaru. And like, it's like the mom wagon around here. I hate seeing them. And then I was like, well, what kind of, what kind of car would she drive? She would be practical. And I was like, I was thinking about the neighborhood that she's living in. I was like, Oh my God, everybody over there has Subarus. I'm just going to give her a Subaru. Yeah. And and, like, all all I could think of the whole time I was writing that I was like, I'm smelling graham crackers. And I was like, but she doesn't have any little kids. Like you, you know how like your your car smells like kid, like kind of like old (laughs) milk and graham crackers. And I was like, this is not hot. This is not hot. <laughs> you made it hot. You made yeah. it hot. It's no joke. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I want to wrap up just because I realized I'm, whew, I got some things I have to clean out in the backyard, apparently. Um, Tasha, thank you so much for joining us to talk about a lot of things yes, and enemies everything. to lovers. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Come on again. I will. Invite me back okay. for something else. I don't care. All right. So, uh, where can we find you? Where can listeners um, find you? I am at Tasha L. Harrison on Instagram and Twitter. I hang out on Twitter most of the time, but follow at your own risk because whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my website is TashaLHarrison.com. I'm also on Facebook, um, but don't bother trying to reach me there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> same, same. Um, you guys, we are, this is Faded Mates uh, for the week. Uh, we are back next week with Susan Elizabeth Phillips' Nobody's Baby But Mine, um, which currently is free on Kindle Unlimited. If you are a Kindle Unlimited survi- uh, survivor, <laughs> yes. if you are a Kindle Unlimited <laughs> subscriber, it is free there. Um, you can leave us a voicemail message and tell us about a book that blooded you this season uh, uh, at 646-450-3766. And you can find uh, t-shirts, buttons, and other gear on our website fatedmates.net um, just click on merch in the um, drop down menu and you will find links to everything there hey y'all my name is Beth Hawk and I'm from Texas um, the book that blooded me is um, by Philippa Carr also known as Victoria Folt um, in her Daughters of England series um, and it was The Lion Triumphant um, and how this book, you know, kind of brought me into the romance and how it changed my life was that I assembled upon it when I was in junior high in a used bookstore, and it was a tough time for me. And I had no idea this was a series. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about romance. And um, it was the first one I read, um, which is actually the second in the series. 
Um, and I also just by chance had gotten the fourth one. Um, so unbeknownst to me, um, the series was about the daughters in a line or a, a family tree, if you will. And what was so interesting about this series was not only the romance aspects, and she really dove into some, you know, kind of non-traditional kind of, um, you know, uh, tropes there, but also uh, you got to see the family dynamics um, and the after effects of the love story of each couple throughout the generation um, and how and where each of them drew their strengths from. Um, you kind of got to see the, the grandmother and the granddaughter interacting and, and the different, you know, kind of nuances that, you know, maybe the grandmother loved about the, you know, the hero, but maybe was a little bit tough for, you know, later generations. So it was just really fascinating um, because it wasn't just about the love, um, you know, between, you know, a man and a woman, but it was also um, about family, and that was so compelling. Um, so, anyways, thanks, y'all. We love your podcast. Keep it up. And please, please, if you could consider doing um, uh, an episode on Victoria Holt, a.k.a. Sylvia Carr, she's amazing, and so are y'all. Thanks.